Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. This edition of the podcast features highlights from the 2017 Unite event, CBA's International Convention in Cincinnati, sponsored by CBA, the Association for Christian Retail. This is the second of two podcasts being released this weekend. Coming up, you'll be hearing from Carol Kent, who, even though her son is now in prison for life, is hopeful and seeing God work in her life as well as in her son's. Next, it's Mary DeMuth, who spoke at CBA Unite, who shared with me some biblical perspective regarding the amazing love of Christ and our true identity in Him. Also, I had a chance to sit down with Phil Collingsworth of the Collingsworth family, who performed for that opening event at which Mary DeMuth spoke. He discussed some of the dynamics and opportunities for this family-based ministry. Also on this edition of The Intersection, some thoughts on liberty from a biblical perspective from John Bonup, who was involved in two Kirk Cameron films and has written several books on the topic of freedom. Then it's author Jeannie Dennis, who's written a book for kids that takes elements of Bible stories and invites the readers to choose their own ending relative to each story. Find out how that works. Finally, some insight into Islam from Pastor Kent Philpot, who has written a book that can be used to share the gospel with Muslims. He's also written a book intended to help Christians learn more about Islam. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. From the 2017 CBA Unite event in Cincinnati, author and speaker Carol Kent visited the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center and shared some of her life's experiences as she relates in the book, Waiting Together, Hope and Healing for Families of Prisoners. Also in our conversation, she discussed the devotional book, He Holds My Hand, Experiencing God's Presence and Protection. From that conversation, here now is Carol Kent. I can honestly say that I rejoice in being able to send resources into the prison like Bible studies and uh, Bibles for men to read. And uh, we, we have been involved in launching a nonprofit organization called Speak Up for Hope. And we send the wives and moms of inmates boxes of hope filled with great Christian literature and uh, comfort items for women, a coffee cup and specialty coffees. And some church groups uh, send us items that we can put in those boxes. And we pray over every box, and it is such a joy to hear the responses from the women who receive them. And they say, I feel like I got a gift from my incarcerated husband or my incarcerated son or daughter. And some of the the things that God has been doing as a result involve uh, people writing literally from all over the world saying, you know, I have an incarcerated loved one, but I've been too embarrassed to talk about it. And I think that when we are honest about our journeys and we share that we have been through the worst of times or that our child has done something that has been devastating to us, uh, that we begin to open the door for others to begin to share their stories and say, I need help and I need prayer. And that has been a great joy to us to be able to take what the enemy intended for bad and say, we are going to use this as a platform upon which we can give God glory. Well, you've written this book. It's called Waiting Together, Hope and Healing for Families of Prisoners. So you've had the opportunity, obviously, through through visitations and other f- events to actually interface with a number of families of prisoners. What would you say would be some of the principal struggles that you've encountered? Well, certainly financial struggles. Suddenly, uh, 
a two-income family becomes a one-income family. And uh, we've discovered that there's loneliness and that they, they feel alienated from society because they're embarrassed about where their spouse is. And so they don't talk about it out loud. So often we find that there is just this extreme alienation from society. And I know my step-granddaughters got asked, and what does your daddy do? And when daddy is behind the bars of a prison, it's really embarrassing and awkward to be able to talk about that and, and admit in front of your friends that that's where your father is. And so we, we just began to love on these people. And then I began to talk publicly about what was happening. And I'll, I'll never forget a woman coming up to the booth where I was signing some books after I had spoken. And she said, Carol, my husband's been incarcerated for the last 18 years and nobody knows. He's getting out in one month. I said, is he coming home to live with you? She said, yes, we're going to try to make a go of it. And then she stood to her full posture and with confidence, she said, today you've given me the courage to start telling my story. I'm going to quit hiding in false shame and false mm. guilt and tell people what's happened. I want to give them hope the way you've given me hope. You mentioned those words that was going through my mind about the shame and the guilt that I can imagine that these families face what do you say to families that are experience, experiencing this type of emotion? One of the things that I try to do is to listen more than talk, because mm. we're very good at advice as Christians, but sometimes we don't listen well. And many of these families that we're meeting aren't believers yet. So I want to let them tell me what they're going through. And I've tried not to uh, just dump 15 Bible verses on them and the gospel and say, now pray this prayer and get with the program. I think they're in the past, I've been pushing in the name of Jesus. And sometimes we, we need to be like Jesus before they'll ever listen to us talk about our Jesus. So after they share what their needs are, I just share that we have discovered that life is so much better if we are appropriately honest in the right settings and let people know what our struggle is and where we're going. And then often I'm able to put a book in their hands, uh, such as Waiting Together, and let them read devotionals, uh, little one, one or two page devotionals for every day that talk about when the news was fresh or when it hit the papers or uh, when you're struggling financially just to take care of your own family, but then you have to buy food out of the vending machines during visitation for your family and pay for the gasoline to go back and forth. And uh, if we can empathize with the suffering of others, they're so much more open to tell us what their real needs are, and that in turn opens the opportunity for us to share Jesus with them. Carol Kent here on The Intersection. Learn more through her website at carolkent.org. Well, at CBA Unite 2017, I had the opportunity to talk with Mary DeMuth, author of the book Worth Living, How God's Wild Love for You Makes You Worthy. She shared material relative to the book, approaching matters of worth and identity from a biblical perspective. From that conversation, this is Mary DeMuth. What have you found as you interact with women across America? Mm -hmm. What have you found to be some of these most dominant lies? I would say um, you are worth what your bottom line is. So how much money you have, how much status you have, uh, whether you're young or not, uh, whether you're beautiful. And I think that last one is probably one of the hardest ones because 100% of the human race is aging. And we may have been um, 
you know, in our 20s, we might not have thought of this, but actually, I think it's kind of ironic that in my 20s, I wasn't satisfied because our media culture is making you not satisfied with how you look. And so I really wish I would have just been grateful then because <laughs> every day I'm getting older and older. And so then I realized, you know, it cannot be how we look because that will change. That will get different every day. It has to be based on how our heart looks and how it is before Jesus Christ. And, and that is cleansed and made whole and made new and renewed every day. And we always have the potential to have a beautiful soul. But so many of us have been duped into thinking that what is on the outside is all there is. And our worth rises and falls on how we look. Hmm. How does the, the power of sin and the power of past sins operate as you see it to really hold not only women but men as well mm-hmm. in in a sense of of bondage and and really contributes to an overall feeling of unworthiness i think that when we are not in community and we do not share things out loud um, we are giving the enemy a foothold to just harass us in our heads and so, you know, the scripture is correct. Uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. The interesting thing about that verse is it says we. It doesn't say I, and I've always read it I. If I confess my sins, he'll, he'll heal me. But it says if we, and that is a communal verse. Paul or uh, John was meaning that to be a communal jer- verse hmm. that we must confess in community. I know when I've kept something silent, even when I've prayed to the Lord about it, it's still confessor inside of me. But when I share it with you or a friend or someone I trust, suddenly it's out and all the power has dissipated. And the enemy, he thrives on darkness. When we put it out into the light, it dissipates and we find the freedom that we're longing for. Mm, that's good. So when you look at that whole concept of confession, obviously you get it out there. The power is reduced, but obviously there will be the the temptation. Sure. There will be the reminder of what you've done. That sin is forgiven, but the enemy wants to bring mm-hmm. it back to our minds. Is there is there a point, as you see it, that one can actually completely break free from the, the from the trappings of the past? I think the older we grow in Christ, the wiser we are, the better we get at that. But it always is the leveling field of the cross. Mm. Um, I can only just boast in the cross. And that's where we have to go back and, and to realize I can't redeem myself. And I think I can get really sad if I think, oh, these all these mistakes, all these sins, all these things I did wrong and live with regret. Because if I can stay there, then I've lost the ability to minister to others because I'm so self-absorbed and sad about my sin. And that's when I have to go to Jesus and say, I need to be set free again. I need you to set me free. Please forgive me. And of course he does. And then help me to feel forgiven. That's another prayer we can pray as well. Well, I I think about that image of the cards that Mm -hmm. your friend was challenging Mm -hmm. you to write the lie on one side Mm -hmm. and then on the other side to write the truth that obviously comes from God's word. It seems like to me that when the past comes into our consciousness, there is an element of truth that we can use. If we just, you know, if we just take the time to to apply the scripture, mm-hmm. that can help us to really recognize that the past does not, we are not defined by our past. Mm-hmm. We're defined by who God says we are. Right. We can say it like that. Yes. And our God is the great I am. He's the God of the present tense. And so in this moment, right now when we're talking, we are loved by God.
in mm. this moment. Mary DeMuth here on The Intersection. She spoke at the opening Worship Hymn event at CBA Unite 2017, as well as an international tea. You can learn more about her by going to the website marydemuth.com. Phil Collingsworth of the Collingsworth family visited the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at the 2017 CBA Unite event in Cincinnati at the Duke Energy Center. His family actually was part of that lineup at the Worship Him opening event at CBA Unite. In our conversation, he shared some of the background of the family and discussed the most recent project, That Day is Coming. From that conversation, this is Phil Collingsworth. Phil, I'm I'm very impressed. You and I were just talking about the fact that here in just several weeks, you guys are going to be heading to Alaska with Dr. Charles Stanley <laughs> on an Alaskan cruise not too long ago. You were with Dr. David Jeremiah at Carnegie Hall. You leave Cincinnati to go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle. I'll tell you what, you are interfacing with <laughs> ministry people that yeah. we really think the world of. So it's great to have the chance to have you stop by here. Well, thank you, Bob. Yeah, we do think the world of of Pastor Jim Simbola and Dr. David Jeremiah, Dr. Charles Stanley. We've done a lot of things with those three. Um, they're really evangelical icons at this point. We've done a lot of stuff with them. We sing every year at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And uh, this is, I think, our fifth or sixth time to go on that cruise to Alaska. You know, somebody's got to sacrifice for Jesus and go to Alaska in the summer. <laughs> I'm sure glad that Dr. Stanley asked us to go with him. Absolutely. And, uh, we enjoy it. It's an incredible event every year. Well, let's rewind just a bit for our listeners. When we're talking about the Collingsworth family in the context of singing and ministering together in music, just give us a, a little bit of a biography, how it is that the family really sense God's call to do what you're doing. <laughs> well, one thing that's interesting is we are a definite true family unit. Mom and dad, four kids. And so uh, the six of us have been on the road uh, ministering for 18 years and uh, concerts from all 50 states, all nine provinces of, of Canada, and about, I think, four or five nations in Europe. We're very, very blessed. Mm. And a cruise to Alaska every summer and a cruise to the Caribbean every winter. So it is um, to get to do what we do. At, the kids were pretty small when we started because they're just now in their early, mid-20s. Um, so they were pretty small 18 years ago, wow. some of them 9, 10 years old. And... Uh, to take off on the road. Some people said it was um, foolish. Some people said it was a lot of faith. <laughs> I think I probably erred on the side of faith because I really believe God told us this was his will for our family. And I'm so grateful it has turned out incredible. If someone were to ask you, Phil, what the distinctives of the Collingsworth family, you guys have a very unique sound. Yeah. Talk about how it is that you, you really crafted, how it is that you all blend together musically. Well, you know, interesting enough, um, DNA has a lot to play with voices blending together. It, it's very interesting you say that. Our record company, they market us as the Von Tropp family of gospel music. <laughs> it's that same type of gentle uh, interlocking type harmony. Um, out of the six vocals, four of them are female. Uh, it's my wife and our three daughters, and then two males would be myself and my son. And so it has that unique, lighter type, uh, tight locking harmony. And we go for arrangements that, you know, project that same kind of harmony. Uh, we do a lot of 
we have a lot of influences from the Brooklyn Tabernacle, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, uh, Broadway-type music. And so it doesn't really pigeonhole us right straight into a genre. We're not really total CCM. We're not total Southern Gospel. We're just kind of somewhere in the middle. We do, uh, you know, I have a degree in classical trumpet. And so um, cl- popularized classical music has a huge portion of influence on us. Like you would have the Cincinnati Symphony, the Cincinnati Pops Orchestra, that kind of a thing. The combination or the hybrid of a classical orchestra and a pop band. And so that has a huge influence on us musically. And um, to be able to do this and watch the kids develop musically until now they're all adults and they're artists in their own right is probably one of the most fulfilling things as a father. Do you ever take your trumpet out? I sure do. Play it every <laughs> single night. We have so a fella come up to me and goes, man, you have a Lawrence Welk variety show. Because <laughs> I play the trumpet every night. We take our own uh, seven foot six Yamaha Conservatory Grand Piano with us everywhere oh we go. Oh, my goodness. We'll be here tonight on the stage. Wow. And Mama plays that in an, am- an amazing way. And then two of my daughters are classical violinists taught by a member of the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. And then our one daughter is a uh, classical guitarist. And our son is a drummer. So we've got the whole thing <laughs> in one package. Our three in-law children travel with us full-time. They're employees of our, of our ministry full-time. And so with them and our granddaughter and our bus driver, we got 11 people on that bus. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's great. Phil Collingsworth here at the Intersection. You can learn more about the family and their ministry by going to the website, thecollingsworthfamily.com. This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. The website address is meetinghouseonline.info. You can find a link to the download center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to and download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the Intersection Podcast. Also, through that homepage, you can subscribe to the Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast-receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. Two blogs can be accessed. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. You can also get connected to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. More from CBA Unite 2017 in Cincinnati, John Bona, co-author of the book The Economic Liberty Book, Prosperity in Biblical Terms, who also worked with Kirk Cameron as executive producer for the movie events Unstoppable and Monumental, stopped by the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center and discussed elements of liberty from a biblical perspective, including some economic principles. From that conversation, this is John Bona. There's no doubt that uh, in our day and age, I think people in general have lost confidence in the government uh, in these areas. Uh, in fact, you know, when I was growing up in, in my teens, you've seen a really a wholesale collapse of, of, uh, of that you could see right on your nightly TV. Uh, you know, the, the Puritan John Winthrop, he talked about the city on the hill when he was talking to the, uh, the founders there, and he connected that to the Articles of Our Confederation, the idea of we truly were a city on a hill. We were a city of liberty, uh, and that uh, American early civil government uh, was was covenanted with God for either blessing or cursing if if we did the things that God called us to do. A church playing out its role in society, doing what they did is just would, would have been such a considered a normal thing. Even in 1970, you, you, we would be laughing 
at this uh, 30, 40 years ago, if we heard this happen, we, we wouldn't believe our society has drifted so far uh, to actually come against something like a church doing this. Uh, the same thing with um, you know transgender bathrooms. Look at I remember, I remember in my neighborhood if anybody talked about I, I heard it the first time somebody talked about a woman having an abortion, it was considered something so awful, so terrible back in the 70s. And today, it's like you know it's it's a standard discussion. So our, we've drifted. There's no question. Uh, but um, uh, we all need to, I think, remember what, what says in our liberty bill, proclaim liberty throughout, the, uh, throughout all the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. We have forgotten that basic message that's enshrined uh, back in 1752 in Philadelphia on our liberty bill. We need to go back to that and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all the people. Mm. Well, and you think about this concept of liberty, and, and you were mentioning it. We're, we're really getting into some of these, as they're called, social issues. But I think it's so instructive to us as the church, as believers in Christ. Of course, arriving in Cincinnati, if you walk around the streets, you'll mm. see these banners on the, the various light poles that talk about pride. There are these rainbow expressions here. And so right. you've got the, this group of people that they want to be free to love who they want to love. You talk about transgender bathrooms. People want to be free to to basically act according to their so-called gender identity. But they're talking about freedom, but freedom and liberty are not the same. And they're actually talking about license. It's actually a little bit they they if you look at the sin nature of man uh, you you can have a license to do something, but that license could be wrong. There's a big difference between license and liberty. Liberty is all the good we could do, mm. the good things we could do under God's law, and not being forced to do anything against God's law, anything wrong. Now, from my point of view, I'm, I've been married 42 years. I'm blessed. If I go out and cheat on my wife, I'm committing adultery. That's a sin. I'm guilty of it. There's no difference between that and having a gay lifestyle. It's a sin. It's a, the sin nature of man. Sin is sin. I don't care what we want to call it today. You could call it something else. Call it a license. Call it a freedom to express yourself. It's still a sin. And people don't like to hear the truth sometimes, but that's what it is. And that's all we could do. That's all we could say about it. It is not liberty. There's a difference. John Bona here on the intersection. Learn more through the website thestoryoflibertypress.com. The Intersection continues now with Jeannie Dennis, host of the online show Heritage of Truth TV. In our recent conversation at CBA Unite 2017, she shared information about the book she's co-written called Bible Kid Ventures, Stories of Danger and Courage, which uses Bible stories in order to help kids make good choices. Here now is Jeannie Dennis. You are a commissioned Colson Fellow and Centurion. Mm-hmm. You have a real heart for seeing God's truth communicated throughout the culture. How did you develop that? I just, I think it was because of my own background of, of turning away from any faith I had as a child when I went to college. Because I had atheist professors that told me about evolution and I thought, oh, well, my family, my parents have been duped and this must be the truth. And so I rejected God. I didn't believe in him. And it was then through creation that God revealed himself to me later. And so I don't want other young people to go through what I did. 
wanted you to, add, to expound just a bit when you talk about how creation was something that God used to teach you more about himself. How did that work? Well, I just remember one time looking up at the stars, and I suddenly knew they didn't just happen by chance. I just knew. Mm. He just revealed to me that he had created. And then the ministries of um, Answers in Genesis and ICR, um, Institute for Creation Research, had a big impact on me, too. Mm. Well, let's talk about how it is that you really began to write what we would say children's literature or kids' literature. You have this book called Bible Kid Ventures, Stories of Danger and Courage. You're the co-author of that. Tell me about what inspired it. Actually, the idea came from an editor, and then I called my friend Sheila, and I said, you want to write this with me? So we did. And the idea was for getting kids into the Bible through the power of story. And the Bible's full of story, and we just wanted to put the children, by using a um, choose-your-own-adventure type of storytelling format, to get the children actually into the culture of Bible times, and so that they could see that the people that lived in that time were very much like them, had to make choices like them. Sometimes they made good godly choices like Joseph, and they still suffered for it. Sometimes they made godly choices, and things went well because of it. And a lot of times things don't turn out well. And you know, some of, we have different endings for every story, and some of them are just plain funny. <laughs> so tell me about the types of stories that you have in the book. Okay, the, we have one that takes place at the time of Moses, the time of the Exodus. So the reader, who is the star of the story, because it's choose your own ending, will uh, leave Egypt with the, the rest of the Israelites. And um, depending on the choices they make, they might be there when the Ten Commandments are delivered and different things that happen. The second story is um, Trapped where the reader lives in Jericho at the time when Jericho falls. And the child, who is either a male or female, whoever's reading the book, is the niece or nephew of Rahab and Mm. has to make a decision whether he's going to be, he or she is going to be with Rahab when the Israelites attack or whether he's going to be outside. And there are a whole lot of different choices, like I said. Mm. The next one is Attack, where the reader might march with Jehoshaphat's army into battle. And for people who know that story, you know, it's a really joyous story because they went in singing and they came back singing because God fought the battle for them. And then the last one is called Escape, and that's where the reader experiences the persecution under Saul, who was later Paul. Jeannie Dennis here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website Jeannie, J-E-A-N-N-E, Dennis.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's Kent Philpot, pastor of Miller Avenue Baptist Church in Mill Valley, California, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area. In our conversation at CBA Unite 2017, he shared about two books with related subject matter, If Allah Wills, which is designed to help lead Muslims to a relationship with Christ, and Islamic Studies, Equipping the Christian Witness to Muslims, Providing Information for Christians About Islam. From that conversation, this is Kent Philpott. You've chosen to give the title of this book, If Allah Wills. Tell me why. I want Muslims to, uh, to read it. And the idea of what Allah wills is a big deal for Muslims. Everything depends upon 
what Allah wills. Now, there's two factors in this for Muslims. Some say that it, uh, Allah, the Muslim God, determines all things. Some disagree and say that, well, there's an element of free will. But nevertheless, whichever side Muslim might appear uh, with, if Allah wills is a big deal. What I will say at the end of these chapters, I say, if Allah wills, you will believe in Jesus. You will trust him as your savior. Now, that what that essentially does is opens the door for the possibility of them believing in Jesus. I say, pray and ask God if it is his will that you trust in Jesus as your savior. They will listen to that language and it means a lot to them. Uh, when I first published that book, uh, a lot of Christians turned their nose up on it. Uh, they thought I'm promoting uh, Islam or I'm putting it on the same basis or I'm into same, some kind of interfaith sort of process. I'm not doing that at all. I am a straight forward evangelist for the message of Jesus. What happened, Bob, about two years ago, God gave me a love for Muslim people. I was always afraid of them. I was angry at them. They scared me. I didn't want anything to do with them. And I had no action, reaction with them in, in the people that lived around me. We got a, a fair-sized Muslim ghetto in Mill Valley. But all of a sudden, that changed. And that If Allah Wills book is the product of that. And I got to tell you, on Friday, the Juma prayers, I go to the local Sunni mosque. Wow. I sit in the back. I don't do their prayers. I walk in, take off my shoes, get my chair, put it up against the back wall. And I'm there. And then afterwards, uh, I talk to the people. Some of the kids that go to that mosque knew me because they were on my baseball team at the local high school. I'm an old-time baseball coach, high school baseball coach. And I knew some of the kids. I invited the imams over to speak to our Islamic studies class that I ran for two years. I wanted to train as many people in our church as possible how to reach out to Muslim people. So that, so that thing changed. And it, I no longer was afraid of Muslims. I saw them as people who Jesus died for, and they needed to hear the gospel like anybody else. I mean, it is... I got to tell you, Bob, it is an awful religion. And that, that sounds weird for me, but I, the more I get to see Islam, the more I see what a terrible, demonically oriented religion Islam is. And it makes me have compassion for these people. These people need to know Jesus and get set free from the mess that they're in. And they know, many of them know that they're in a mess. Well, and this book, If Allah Wills, it's intended to be used to share the gospel with Muslims, to give to Muslim people. It, it is a bridge to reach out to those who embrace Islam with the, and the opportunity to share the truth of Christianity. We have it in a pocket-sized 3 by 5 edition, so you can hand it to them and they can stick it in their pocket. It's dangerous in many Muslim communities for... Um, the honor brigade at the local mosque to see somebody reading Christian literature. So you have to be a little bit yeah. careful. And that's why we have little pocket editions, small booklet, about 100 plus pages. Um, but when you enter into Muslim evangelism, you have to realize that you, you have a battle. You have a spiritual battle on your hands. 
uh, and maybe more than that, because there is resistance in any Islamic community where they have any, any kind of numbers at all. Uh, they're very protective, and they don't want anybody evangelizing their people. But we take the courage to do so anyway. Uh, and um, after a while, they begin to respect and understand these people have a love for us. I've actually seen that with Muslim people, with some of their leaders. Kent Philpott here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website ebpbooks.com. Well, this has been The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. The website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Through that homepage, you will find a link to the download center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you could listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. Also, you can subscribe to The Intersection through that website. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room. The other is The Three, three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. You can also get connected to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.